Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Oh, wow. Well... We are in a climate crisis. It is very, very obvious to anyone. Wildfires, drought, floods, globally. Wildfires, drought, flood, globally. Anybody who is thinking that, "Mm, you know, Ah, whether it goes back and forth and uh, it's a hot, no, we are in the midst of a climate crisis. And imagine the animals, imagine all the animals out there in the United States and globally who are not only grappling with the drought and the extreme heat and the wildfires and the floods, but the development, the destruction of their land, the habitat destruction, whether it's to create a factory farm or a development, or a freeway, or a railway. We are on now with Kate Wall of International Fund for Animal Welfare, who is leading the charge to create wildlife corridors as we discuss and debate America's infrastructure. Let's not leave animals out of the equation. We do so at our own peril. Kate, bring us up to date. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a very busy person. This infrastructure issue is right now front and center in Congress. How are we going to protect the animals? How are we going to make sure that they're not tossed to the side as so often happens? Thank you so much, Jane. It's really wonderful to be with you. And I really appreciate you putting a focus on this really critical issue. As you say, we ignore the animals at our peril and for a lot of different reasons. There are a number of competing infrastructure bills that are making their way through Congress right now. In the House of Representatives, they passed the INVEST Act, which is sort of a surface transportation bill. When you think about the infrastructure that we need for roads, bridges, um, our daily commuting lives, getting to the grocery store, that's a lot of what the surface transportation bill deals with. And the House passed bill contained language that would invest in wildlife corridors. These are ways for wild animals to get from one place to another. It's not enough to have just protected areas because like us, we may be protected in our homes, but if we can't get from our homes to the grocery store, if we can't get from our homes to food, if we can't get from our homes to water, if we can't get from our homes to other people, um, we're not going to survive past one generation. We're not going to survive very long. It's the same with animals. And so um, Congress had looked at that in the House and, you know, there, there are champions in the House and the Senate who have been championing corridors bills for several Congresses. And this time around, the House of Representatives took their corridors language and put it into their bill and that's passed. At the same time, we have a Senate bill that's a much bigger infrastructure package looking beyond just surface transportation to all sorts of other infrastructure initiatives. And the package that we've seen, unfortunately, 
doesn't include wildlife corridors at this point. It does include crossings, which are important and, a, and can be a part of corridors, and, and maybe we can get into that in a little bit. But we are afraid that we may not see true corridors legislation pass as part of infrastructure, which would really be a shame. So what can people do? What can people do? Um, I mean, we need a petition. We need to call our members of Congress, obviously. This happens over and over again. The arrogance of our species. Uh, we are barreling toward the extinction of uh, an untold number of species. Some say it's a million. Some say it's more than that. The clock is ticking. And when all those species go, we are going to experience an ecological collapse. And guess That's who's true. gonna suffer from that? Humans. So this is very short-sighted thinking. And yet- and we're already, yep. And we're already seeing it. It was so, it was such an important point that you made at the start about climate change and how we're barreling toward this climate disaster. And, and you're right, we are also experiencing a biodiversity crisis, an extinction crisis. And those two things are really wrapped up in one another. It's not just that climate change, <laughs> just, it's not only that climate change impacts animals, human beings, you know, birds, frogs, elephants, all the animals on the planet, all the animals we share our planet with, the loss of species also impacts climate change. When we lose biodiversity, just as you said, we lose these healthy ecosystems that we all depend on. It may not be as apparent when we walk outside and it's 100 degrees and feels like 100% humidity and we know that climate change is happening. We may not experience biodiversity loss in the same way, but it is just as much an existential threat, as you said. We need healthy ecosystems for water. We need healthy ecosystems for food. We need healthy ecosystems so that we have the soil that we can plant crops in. We need healthy ecosystems for air. These are really basic things. It's not, these are not luxury items. <laughs> these are things that we absolutely critically need as human beings to survive. And when we lose native biodiversity, we lose those ecosystems. Just as you said, we're going to see ecosystems start to degrade. We're already seeing ecosystems degrade where wild species have been lost. And as those ecosystems degrade and eventually collapse, we're going to find ourselves living in a world that can't support us. So not only should we care about the animals, as I do, um, I care about each and every individual animal as well as the species, but we also have to care about our own futures. And if we're not looking out for the animals, we're going we're gonna to be in a lot of trouble. And so, yes, People can call their senators in particular right now to say that they would like to see corridors in an infrastructure package. These corridors have been identified as one of the most important ways to save species because they allow species to move around in the face of climate change, in response to changing habitats, in response to drought, in response to wildfires, in order to meet mates and create new parts of that species. And so, yes, absolutely. I would encourage everyone to get in touch with their senators and say, we care about corridors. We care about biodiversity. We care about our future. And we really want to see these in an infrastructure bill. Well, we need a campaign. I think sometimes they only listen when they get 100,000 or 200,000. The, you know, 
Unfortunately, the animals uh, can't say, hey, we're dying here. And unfortunately, the lobbyists for uh, industry, whether it's the fossil fuel industry, the animal agriculture industry, the pharmaceutical industry, all of these industries, they um, have very powerful voices. And so the uh, elected representatives primarily listen to those lobbyists. The only exemption, the only exception to that is when there's a massive campaign where they go, oh, we can't ignore this anymore. You know, literally, it's like people knocking at their door saying, hey, so is there anything we can do in this crucial time to have a, a mass movement where there's a call-in day or there's a petition or maybe there's a lot of that already going on? There is some of that already going on. So I saw is part of a coalition of groups that includes, you know, a variety of organizations from across the country that's really working on this. Um, the Wildlands Network, the Nature Conservancy, um, the National Parks Association. There are a number of groups that are really working on trying to reach out to our members and, you know, gin up support, get people to call in and um, write letters to, we've held briefings before the Senate and the House to talk about the importance of corridors. Such notable figures as E.O. Wilson have sent letters and messages to Capitol Hill talking about the importance of this. And I will say that we are starting to make some inroads, and that's for a couple of reasons. So we mentioned crossings earlier. Crossings, uh, corridors themselves are sort of the whole route that wildlife will take to get from one protected area to another. And when I say protected area, I don't necessarily mean a national park, although those can be protected areas, but really one area where there is enough habitat to survive to another area where there is another habitat, enough habitat to survive. So corridors are kind of like the streets and the bridges and the underpasses and the overpasses and, and habitat, right? Like if you're thinking of pollinators, the, the areas where there are enough plant for them to stop on their trip from one protected area to another. Crossings are the some of the structures that go into that. Corridors can be land plus structures um, and all sorts of other things. They can exist in, on terrestrial land, in water. Um, they can incorporate sort of changing of fence structures, changing of, of other things just to allow wildlife to move along a charted path. Crossings can be part of that. Crossings are where you have these wildlife overpasses, such as we see all over the world, frankly. We've seen some in Utah. We've seen them in Alaska. We've seen them in California. We see them in Wyoming. Um, they can be overpasses over highways. They can be underpasses under roads. They can be... Um, they can have water incorporated into them. And they're really great. You know, if you Google a, a wildlife crossing, you're gonna find lovely videos all over the web of multiple species sort of prodding over or under roadways. Um, they're so charismatic and wonderful. They also protect human lives. So wildlife use them all the time. What we don't all know is that, do you realize it costs the United States eight billion, that's B, billion with a B, dollars every year um, to deal with wildlife vehicle collisions. So when we hit anything from a chipmunk to a moose, that costs 
property damage. It costs life. It costs the life of the animal. It often causes the life of the human being driving the car. And particularly in Western corridors with big game species, large animals moving across roadways, we're seeing huge, huge numbers of accidents with horrible consequences for everyone involved. And that 8 billion with a B number has caught the eye of a lot of people on both sides of the aisle in Congress. So we're seeing some real recognition of the need for wildlife crossings. Now we need to kind of expand that out. And some people on both sides of the aisle do recognize that corridors are also important, but we need to get that understanding to be um, accepted as well. Yeah. And um, what I was hoping maybe is just if you feel comfortable to take off your glasses because the uh, light, your light is being reflected and it's, it's blocking your lovely face. Um, yes. Thank you. So what can people do? Uh, because you have the forces of development and this is happening all over the United States and the world. What's really tragic is that as we talk about and decry species extinction and lament it, we continue on the behaviors and even accelerate the behaviors that are causing extinction. And so you have habitat destruction for parks. Uh, right now we're battling here at the Bayona wetlands. They wanna bulldoze LA's last coastal wetlands. They call it a restoration. However, there's 1,700 species, including endangered and threatened species who, I say who, live there and um, a 10-year bulldozing plan is going to accelerate their um, demise, obviously. And so you have um, plans to build or, or suggestions to, to build bike paths across the Alligator Alley in Florida. Excuse me, I lived in Florida. You can barely drive across it without fainting. There's probably a dozen people in the world who can bike across Alligator Alley from one end to the other in the extreme heat and humidity. Obviously, a lot of this is about handing out contracts and follow the money when you see habitat being destroyed. You also have situations where there's a giant project like a railway. Uh, I think I read about this. The Obviously, we have to improve our railways. I mean, anybody who's been on Amtrak knows that it's a little bit antiquated when you have high-speed rails happening in other parts of the world that are extraordinary. However, Going through a wildlife habitat is not the answer. So um, these animals are um, basically being persecuted at every turn. And, and we might say, well, you know, a railway is more important. Or, well, we want to have this park, so the animals don't count. But at a certain point, when you add all that up together, what you reach is a point of no return. And then you have the massive collapse of species. And then we have a dystopia. We have um, literally a climate apocalypse. And that's not an exaggeration. Why is it that members of Congress uh, who are smart enough to get elected into Congress and their staffers don't seem to see this, that this is a priority. I mean, the news media is also backward. That I've been reading about the infrastructure issue and they never mention wildlife. They never talk about wildlife corridors. It's very hard for them to, it's very hard to get any coverage on this, I think. It's true. And I don't know entirely why that is, which is why I'm really glad that we're having this conversation today because we should all really 
be aware of the devastating impacts of the biodiversity crisis for animals, for ourselves, for animals too. Um, we tend to set ourselves apart. But the other animals we share this, this globe with are really important to the globe's survival and to ours as well. You know, there are some people in Congress who really understand the need for wildlife corridors. In the House, we have a bipartisan team of um, Mr. Byer of Virginia, who is a Democrat, Mr. Buchanan of Florida, who is a Republican, who have both been championing wildlife corridors. Um, we have wildlife corridors champions in the Senate as well. You know, there's so much to unpack with the questions that you asked, Jane. I think that we need to prioritize biodiversity in the same way that we are starting to prioritize climate. And I will be the first to say that we talk a better game on climate than we have in the past. There's still a lot to do there. So I don't want to say we've solved the climate crisis. Now let's move on to biodiversity. What I we do want to say that because we haven't solved the climate <laughs> crisis, it's getting worse. And, um, you know, we're having unprecedented wildfires, droughts and floods. We saw what happened in Belgium. We saw what happened in Germany. We saw what happened in India. We saw what happened in China. This is the appetizer to what's coming down the pike if we Absolutely. don't wake up and reverse uh, our war on nature. Yes. Guess what? Yes. And we, so, we are all powerful, but nature will win. Every time. We are not all powerful. That is such an illusion. And I just, so I think that, you know, as we are starting to talk about prioritizing climate in decisions, when you were talking about infrastructure projects. We are starting to hear from the Biden administration the need to, for a global climate strategy that invests a whole of government approach in attacking the climate crisis, right? So that means every time we do a project, every time we fund a project here at home, every time we fund a project overseas, we have to be taking the climate into account. We need to be doing the same with animals and biodiversity. Absolutely, full stop. And we can't have this on a timeline of we'll do it sometime, maybe by 2045 we'll have a strategy and then we'll start implementing it by 2075. We really need to take action immediately. We need to recognize when we're looking at do we want to put in invest, do we want to invest in some sort of, you know, shopping mall or highway system or or anything what we do is we value the short-term cost of that right we value the number of jobs that are going to come of that we value you know well how it's yeah. going to impact the short-term economy in terms of buying and selling things what we don't take into account in a really meaningful way is what it costs us on the biodiversity front and that in economic terms itself is huge. It, when you're talking outside of economic terms, it's almost incalculable, which is perhaps why people don't calculate it. But there was a report out of the Intergovernmental Planet, sorry, Panel on Climate Change in 2018 that noted that terrestrial ecosystem services, and what that means is the things that we get from our ecosystems, like water and air and food, just on land, not in water, so terrestrial ecosystem services annually are roughly the same as global 
GDP. So we need to be calculating if we are destroying ecosystems, if we are destroying habitat, we are destroying those services, which actually aren't free, right? Like they, they cost the ecosystem something, but we can't take those as just unlimited resources. We have to recognize that if we destroy them, as you say, they're not gonna come back easily. They may not come back at all. We don't have the technology. We don't have the knowledge to completely rebuild ecosystems once they've fallen apart. The only thing that can do that is protection. Yeah, and, and to put it in a very simple terms, it's not good for business if life on this planet becomes uninhabitable. Absolutely true. <laughs> Short break. And um, we're gonna stay live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio you are listening to jane unchained to reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. We are talking to Kate Wall, who is International Fund for Animal Welfare's legislative honcho, the person who is trying to make sure that members of Congress, that our government, that our tax dollars go to funding wildlife corridors so these poor wild animals that are being hit from every direction with fire, flood, and drought uh, don't also turn into roadkill. I mean, literally, that's the issue. They're going to be just wiped out if we just keep ignoring that they need to be able to go from point A to point B uh, to, to survive, to breed, to eat, to drink water. We've got a caller, Paige. Uh, what is your question or thought, Paige? Thank you so much. I'm actually here in Agora Hills, California, United States, and we had the horrible wildfires uh, two and a half years ago, and they are in the process of building. Um, Henry Stern uh, is uh, part of that process, and I haven't seen them underway with the building yet. I'm just praying this happens soon because 
you know, with the climate crisis just speeding up at a rapid rate, I am concerned about the fires. I'm concerned about the wildlife. Here's my question. How can we, as citizens in our cities, in our communities, push for this, these initiatives forward? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you so much. That's such a great question. And it really sort of depends. Well, there are a lot of things that we can all do. We can, in our own yards or our own apartments, plant native species. I mean, if you have a window box, you can plant some native plants that can serve as safe havens for pollinators, potentially food for wild birds or wild mammals. If you have a larger yard, move away from your lawn, move toward having sort of a native habitat in your larger area. In terms of pushing initiatives, we do say that all politics is local, and that's really true. Get invested in your local politics, and that can be everyone from your city council to your senators and, you know, your federal senators and your federal um, representatives, call them, write letters to them, let them know that corridors and biodiversity are really important to you. When I started out lobbying, I had this thought that Capitol Hill was almost like an untouchable realm. Since I've, since I've worked in advocacy, I've recognized our representatives really are there to represent us. That doesn't mean that they're always going to listen to us, but we should not be afraid to speak out and let our representatives, our elected officials, know what we care about. And it can seem like just being one person is not enough, but if you post to your social media, if you let your friends and relatives know what's important to you, encourage them to speak out and really take advantage of our representative democracy, that's something that we all can and frankly really have to be doing in order to drive the conversation. Because I will tell you from firsthand experience, Jane, as you said earlier, if a senator or a representative gets 10,000, 15,000, 100,000 calls on an issue, they will take notice. They absolutely will take notice. And that is something that we all have voices and sharing those voices, raising those voices is something we can all do. Yes. And of course, we all have to decide we're going to do this at a certain time at a key moment. That's where these organizations like International Fund for Animal Welfare come in. So, um, let us know what the action points are and we will start making those calls for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You can also come to um, IFAW's site, ifaw.org. We have some taking action. Um, we have action taking pages on our website. So I encourage you to come to our website, please, uh, and take action. When you sign on to one of our email petitions, your emails will go directly to your senators or your representative, uh, depending on which action page you, you fill out. And so we can help to amplify your voice as well. And as Jane has been very politely pushing, we're going to have to get some real um, days of action going for social media. You know, we just saw the infrastructure package in the Senate come out 
this morning. So we are still getting ourselves in gear with our partner organizations who I mentioned earlier to really try and get voices amplified. But stay tuned because we will certainly be calling on you over the coming days to help us amplify the need for wildlife corridors and infrastructure. Absolutely. And thank God for IFAW, International Fund for Animal Welfare, that you're there paying attention to this issue and can give us direction. I think the days of people sitting down and writing their own letter have come and gone. Uh, it's, uh, we live in a clickbait world where the attention span of the average person, because we're being hit with so many requests for this, that, and the other, is small. But if you can go somewhere and IFAW click, uh, oh, this is going to send a letter and I have an option to personalize, which I always do. I always personalize. I usually Thank you. <laughs> capital letters. This is barbaric. Um, but I, I love doing those instant letters. I feel like, okay, I've taken an action. And also, we can all do it together. So that's really important. And again, the animals can't do that. So getting back to the wildlife corridors, for um, some people who might say, look, uh, we've got so much happening. There's a crisis. We've got the, the pandemic. We've got a lot of things we're dealing with here. Uh, this isn't on my priority list. If you had to spell it out, what would you say, Kate, to um, citizens about the importance, spell it out, wildlife corridors, what are they and why are they absolutely crucial? Thank you so much for asking that question because it is literally one of the, my favorite things to talk about. Biodiversity. So wildlife corridors protect biodiversity. Wildlife corridors are one of the most important things that we can do to protect biodiversity here in the United States and internationally when um, we help to support wildlife corridors abroad. That is important for literally every area of our lives. We talked about why we need to care about biodiversity from an ecosystem services perspective. Guess what? The pandemic that we're all dealing with that came from wildlife too. The more we protect wildlife and change our relationships with wildlife to be healthier and more sustainable, so that means let's stop the trade in wildlife for human consumption. That's really dangerous, not just for the wildlife. Um, let's stop some of, let's stop Let's really look closely at a lot of our wildlife trade. Let's look at habitat destruction and stop that. Let's stop deforestation. We'll see fewer pandemics. Biodiversity is actually a protection against zoonotic spillover, which means the bugs from animals, and I mean the viruses and pathogens from animals jumping into humans. If we have greater biodiversity in areas, we see that that's actually a buffer that protects human beings from pathogen spillover. It can actually protect us against pandemics. So wildlife corridors are a part of the puzzle that protects biodiversity. They're a huge part of that puzzle. They're not the only thing, but we need to be protecting biodiversity to protect ourselves against future pandemics, to protect ourselves against floods, to protect ourselves against wildfires, to protect ourselves against so many of the calamities that we are seeing. Protecting biodiversity, which can start with wildlife corridors, can actually help to put us in a better position so that we are not facing as many calamities in the future. 
if you don't want to think about COVID-19, I don't blame you. Let's protect biodiversity. Let's incorporate wildlife corridors. We may see fewer pandemics in the future as a result. Let me ask you this question. Can you paint a picture of how wildlife corridors work? I think people just envision cougars walking over a freeway on a bridge. I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that. Can you spell it out, paint a picture? What, what do these wildlife corridors look like? Where are they built? How do they work? So right now we have one national wildlife corridor, which is mainly in Wyoming. It's called the Path of the Pronghorn. And it allows pronghorn to utilize their historic migratory route. So it turns out pronghorn, while beautiful, aren't very flexible in their thinking. They have a migratory, migratory route. They are going from point A to point B the way they've always done, their ancestors have always done. They are not up for changing that route just because somebody else put up fences. They also, they really can't jump. They can run very fast. They can scoot under things, but they're not able to jump over barriers. So this path of the pronghorn isn't a path at all, really. It is just a section of land where the existing structures have been altered to allow pronghorn to get through. In some cases, that may include an overpass. And you'll see pronghorn trotting across the overpass like you would the cougar in California. In some places, that just means that fencing for livestock that had been kind of three tier with, you know, a high tier, a middle tier and a lower tier, the lower tier has been raised a bit. So it keeps livestock in, but the pronghorn can get under it. So it's, it's a pathway that allows pronghorn to just walk their normal route. And when they get to something that would have blocked them and stopped them from migrating, there's either a way over it or a way under it without them having to go around it. That's so you'll have maybe some parkland and then some grazing land and then a highway with an overpass. And all of those pieces are part of a corridor. They're all different components. And they're going to be different for different types of species because different animals need different ways of, you know, they have different habits. Some animals can jump, like the deer who come into my yard. They think nothing of a four-foot fence or a six-foot fence. They just hop over it. Um, pronghorn can't. So if you want a deer corridor, you're going to structure things a little bit differently to allow the deer to get around things that might be in their way. But these corridors, they really don't mean that people have to stop using land or even change things a whole lot. These Sometimes they do, but a lot of times it's minor tweaks that can really just enable wildlife to use the land that they've always used in ways that they've always needed to. And importantly, as we move forward and see more uh, changes to the landscape as a result of climate change, corridors can allow animals to move in response to changing climate. Because let's face it, as the temperatures go up, a lot of us are going to need to be moving in response to climate. And we need our animal friends, our animal neighbors, to be able to do the same. Well, what, what torture if animals are in the midst of a wildfire and they're trying to escape and then they run into uh, an impenetrable wall or fencing or 
a freeway. And I'm sure that's happening right now. We've got wildfires all over the place. Absolutely. And you paint such a devastating picture and you're, you're totally right. Imagine, imagine being trapped with wildfire on one side of you and a fence on the other. There's nowhere to go. And that absolutely does happen. And we can change that. We can change that with, (laughs) we can change that with a fraction of the money that we are already spending as a nation on wildlife vehicle collisions. To implement a system of wildlife corridors, we could spend much less than we are spending already every year, that $8 billion number just on hitting animals with our cars. So it's a no-brainer. Why don't we why won't we spend that? We should all be we should all be advocating this. Whether you care only about your car, whether you care about animals, whether you care about having clean water to drink, we should all be advocating wildlife corridors. They're so absolutely a win for everyone. Billions of dollars are spent because of these collisions where animals, wild animals are trying to cross the road and a car hits them and that costs billions of dollars and many people die along with the wildlife. And if we had wildlife corridors, we wouldn't have all those accidents so we could save human lives as well as save animal lives and save money. So that doesn't seem like brain surgery to figure out why on earth is it something that you have to struggle so much to get Congress to include? Who's on the other side? Who's Follow the money. Who are the people? Was Is it developers? Is it the animal agriculture industry? Who is trying to stop you from doing this? So to some degree, it's not so much a who as a what. It's inertia. It's that we all have done the same things over and over again. And it doesn't take a genius to recognize that if you do the same things over and over again, you're going to get the same results but it can be really hard to move the needle even when it makes a lot of sense because people aren't used to doing things differently. People aren't used to thinking about things differently. I think there are also some, this is one of those cases where there's not necessarily a a real effort on on another side. There's not really another side. There's just competing priorities. There are people saying, why are we going to spend $500 million on wildlife corridors when we have people dying of COVID-19? That's a reasonable question, but it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. What we have to recognize is that this is a money-saving, cost-reducing plan strategy in the long term. We're just used to looking at appropriations in sort of a year-long cycle. Um, How much is it going to cost in this year? How much are we spending on other things in this year? How do we sort of split the baby when there are so many other really important things happening? And it becomes a battle oftentimes between many good things. And nobody wants to take away from the other good things it, it just becomes a question of maybe increasing the amount of money that we spend on infrastructure rather than holding ourselves to hard and fast caps that are not realistic in terms of 
the good that our money, our taxpayer money could be doing for the whole nation. Well, I'd like to say here in California, we do have a situation where industry and government that is beholden for some reason to that industry is waging war on wildlife. You have the Thule elk at the Point Reyes National Seashore that are being deprived of water. Um, and that is at the behest of the dairy industry, even though we taxpayers support the Point Reyes National Seashore and millions of dollars are spent by tourists who come to see not the dairy cows, they come to see the Thule elk. Literally, activists have gone in there to try to give the Thule elk water and um, there's been this, this huge confrontation with agencies that are supposed to protect wildlife saying, no, you can't give water to these animals. So I do see where in this increasing battle for resources, you have industry that has the thumb on its scale of these agencies because they've essentially um, co-opted the agencies. Um, you've got executives from these agencies going into these, um, executives from the industries going into these agencies. I mean, look at the head of uh, the, the United States Department of Agriculture is a former dairy trade group leader. It's a dairy industry. Yeah. And so uh, you have decisions that are being made, not for the people, not for the animals, but for the industries that have infiltrated these agencies. So I definitely think that there is, um, in this battle for, for scarce resources, uh, um, a threat that when we allow uh, private industry to have undue influence over those who make the decisions, we're going to make decisions that are very short-sighted. Oh, I absolutely agree. I was not aware of the Thule Elk situation. That is horrible. You know, my husband and I were at Point Reyes National Seashore just a couple of years ago um, before the pandemic. And it's heartbreaking to hear that and really unconscionable. I, and you're right. There are absolutely, absolutely cases in which industry is, against really important and frankly common sense measures to support and protect animal welfare, both domestically and internationally. We're not in that situation, fortunately, with corridors. It's one of the areas where we are not facing significant entrenched interest on the other side. Although there can be times when industries that are sort of just used to battling against animal welfare because that's what they do in other areas um, may be resistant to finding solutions like corridors that can actually work that, that don't impact their industries at all we have not run into a whole lot of that in the corridor space although we do obviously in other areas you know, I think this is another place where we can go back to the need to really reevaluate how we look at wildlife. Wildlife aren't a luxury either. We need to be protecting our wildlife. And if we have industries looking at the short-term financial impact of sharing water with wildlife rather than the long-term value of wildlife to their customers, it doesn't make sense from a dairy perspective 
I don't think, for their customers to die because of climate change, climate impact. So we would think that we would all want to improve the the lot of wild animals that can improve our own lot as well by protecting our ecosystems and habitat. Even if you're one of those strange people who doesn't care about the animals themselves, I can't really imagine seeing an animal suffering from lack of thirst and not wanting to do everything in my power to alleviate that. Up to and including sharing my own water. So it's, it boggles the mind, the idea that any industry could argue against sharing water resources with wildlife, but it happens from an economic perspective. Yeah. It doesn't so, make sense either. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so again, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Kate Wall of the International Fund for Animal Welfare, trying to get the U.S. Congress to include wildlife corridors in their infrastructure um, plan, which has been very much debated. It's front and center right now in Congress. There was the Invest Act, or there is the Invest Act that does provide, but now you have, that was the House that passed that. Now you have the Senate with this other, I think it's even larger bill, and how all that is reconciled to come up with a law. That's where it's crucial that we make sure that these wildlife corridors are included. And when you think about the trillions of dollars that they're planning on spending, the amount for wildlife corridors is infinitesimal, and it has such an incredible payoff in that we would avoid massive species extinction. One of the things that I learned talking to uh, some of these folks who are pushing on a municipal level, like uh, Councilman LA Councilman Paul Koretz is pu pushing for wildlife corridors here in Los Angeles. And so there are um, cities that are pushing for wildlife corridors. There are states that are pushing, and then there's the federal, and then there's the nonprofits. There's a lot happening in this space. But in order for animals to mate, they have to move around and have uh, diversity within their species. Can you address that? Why it's important for them not to just be confined in a tiny area where they're... Uh, mating with uh, the same gene pool over and over again? Well, we all know that inbreeding is a really bad idea, right? Like there's a reason that we go outside of our own family. Well, there are a lot of reasons we go outside of our own families. <laughs> but just from a genetic perspective, you can't just keep crossing the same genes over and over again. You start to see really bad effects. You start to see serious breakdowns of of species that are too interbred. Um, we can jokingly say that we see we have seen that um, with historical royal families, not I'm not, I'm not casting aspersion on any current royal families, but we we know that it is a bad idea to just mate within your family, if you will. The same is true of animals. They cannot just keep mating within a small population and hope not to see serious birth defects, genetic diseases. There has to be a way for animals to move and find genetically diverse mates or the species itself is essentially just gonna go extinct in these little island populations. If you don't have corridors and crossings to connect animal species, you essentially just have little desert islands of protected areas all over the place 
that eventually are going to die out as any desert island population will eventually if there's no way to get food and water and genetic changeover into that area. And I wanted to go back to, you know, you talked, Shane, about how there are pushes for wildlife corridors at city, municipal levels, state levels, national levels, and that's true. And one of the beauties of the Wildlife Corridors Conservation Act, the piece of legislation that was folded into the House Infrastructure Bill, the INVEST Act, is that it sets out a framework to incorporate all those different types of land. So by providing resources to municipalities, to states, to tribes, to volunteer individuals who want corridors to cross their lands, without saying you have to have a corridor here, but setting up this system by which people can all work together to kind of create a patchwork of corridors that run over all of these various types of land, it's really a brilliant way to include all of us if we live in areas where biodiversity um, is struggling, we would have a, a capability under this wildlife corridors legislation to work with our municipal governments, our state governments, even our private landholders to create wonderful corridors. And I want to give a little shout out to, I live in a tiny little town, Mount Rainier, Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C. And I want to give a shout out to my mayor and city council who are working on a native plant network to incorporate into wildlife corridors in the D.C. metropolitan area. Um, it's something that even tiny, tiny towns can do and they can have huge impacts for wildlife in our communities. How fabulous. And we have a caller, Lindsay, your question or thought for Kate Wall of International Fund for Animal Welfare. Hi there, Jane. I just want to make a comment. I wasn't able to catch the full conversation, but as you know, I've been doing some uh, work with different organizations that work on wildlife conservation. The story is all the same. We're trying to put wildlife into a postage stamp kind of paradigm where they're they're completely controlled and by doing that we're destroying them but I'm so happy I, I I think it's so important I should say to get this information out people don't realize that horses uh you know want to choose who they mate with they don't realize that by taking them off the land we are ruining the biodiversity of the soils for other other species and so forth so Getting the word out in this uh, Wildlife Corridor Act sounds amazing, and I would love to do anything I can do to help promote it. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Lynn. Yes, I mean, we're talking about also the U.S. government rounding up wild horses, and uh, even though there's a Wild Horse and Borough Protection Act, that doesn't seem to stop them. And again, it's mostly for industry, the cattle industry. This is a battle for resources, Okay. And one side has no voice except for us. And the other side has the power of industry. And so uh, we only have a couple of minutes. What's your final pitch? And what do we need to do? So first of all, once again, I absolutely encourage everyone to call, get involved with your members of Congress. Don't be afraid to be a citizen activist. Don't be afraid to be a citizen lobbyist. Um, if you feel most comfortable reaching out through organizations like IFA, 
feel free to come to our website, ifod.org. We have lots of ways to help you contact your legislators. Otherwise, get their number, call them up, be a pest. <laughs> they will listen eventually. And I would just say once again that biodiversity is important for all of us. Whatever side you're coming from, whether you are industry, whether you are an animal lover, whether you are just sort of trying to go about your day and stop jumping from world catastrophe to world catastrophe, we need to care about biodiversity. And one of the best ways that we can protect biodiversity here in the United States is through wildlife corridors. I want to ask a quick question. We have three minutes left. Is Europe leading the way on this? Because a lot of times uh, you'll find that we're struggling with something veganic, organic, veganic farming, for example. It's happening in Sweden and um, they're, they're, they've got a whole program going and we're kind of struggling to get that going here in the United States. Are there good examples of wildlife uh, corridors globally? There are some examples of more crossings that I'm aware of than corridors, but certainly this is an interest in the UK, in the EU, in, and in the United States. I would say that we are all sort of working together and there is an international coalition of transportation experts who, have, who come together on an annual basis to talk about these needs and these issues. Um, mainly in the crossing area. And I would say that unlike other things, we are actually um, on a par with Europe in our thoughts about wildlife crossings. They may be a little bit ahead of us in terms of wildlife corridors, unfortunately, but we can catch up. We should not let that stop us. So we're, we're at a crucial moment now. I had read somewhere that this might even be decided this week. Um, where, where does it stand? Like, is there, is there a way to get to these senators and these members of Congress? You know, I think that what happens with the infrastructure bill in the Senate is still very much to be written, which means that absolutely now is the time, now is the crucial time. Call your senators and say, I want to see the Wildlife Corridors Conservation Act included in the final Senate infrastructure package. Now is the time. Wildlife corridors. Say Conservation it Act. Sorry. Wildlife corridors. Uh, I'm writing it down. Corridors Conservation Act. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, included in the whole infrastructure plan. So that's really the key. And uh, the clock is ticking on that one. Wow. Okay. Um, I just want to thank you. I know you are in the midst of all this. Uh, very, very busy. I appreciate all your work. Kate Wall, a legislative coordinator for International Fund for Animal Welfare's uh, program to get these wildlife corridors so absolutely crucial, all hands on deck. We need to let our representatives know we want our tax dollars to fund this. This is a really good use of our tax dollars. So I want to thank you so much, Kate. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Jane. And thanks to all of your, your watchers and listeners. I really appreciate you all.
Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.